0: You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back at you with a, another interactive class out of the secret library of the connected universe. Have a really interesting episode for you today. We're going to be talking about past lives, supernatural DNA, genetic memory, residual self image, consciousness, all of these really fascinating type topics. So, but before we get into all of that, do want to let uh, those that are listening to the audio version of this later, the podcast, at Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, iTunes, all of that stuff, uh, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Uh, those that are members of the Connected Universe Portal, uh, get all the uh, back-end uh, super-secret stuff, right? A uh, bunch of classes out there, a bunch of uh videos behind the scenes sneak peeks we have monthly q a videos which we have one coming out here very soon this is the last day of may uh, and much more uh, exclusive articles and what have you members you can get the app they'll give you all the notifications when we go live when things are posted all of those wonderful things uh and of course we have coming up here June 10th, historic Bell Mansion, Fort Wayne, Indiana, connecting the universe. The event will be covering Stargates, portals, ancient symbolism, e- the Egypt-Atlantis connection, triangle areas of the world, consciousness and time travel, and more. And of course, next April, we have the Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour. So you can find all that information on my website, Mikericksecker.com. I see people are starting to filter in. That is fantastic. So let's go ahead and get into the class question for the evening, since we're covering supernatural DNA. If you could inherit one trait from an ancestor or past life, what would it be? So we had a few responses to this. Uh, Jen said, I would have loved a higher metabolism. I think many of us, as we get older, would appreciate a higher metabolism uh, that we can continue to eat the foods that we like and uh, not have as many repercussions, that is for sure. Uh, Tom McNicholas says, I would love to reach the seventh level of human consciousness. So we're going to be talking a little bit about consciousness this evening. Of course, my uh, new book coming out, Travels Through Time, we'll be touching on this a bit as well. Sage Sleuth. Uh, off the YouTube channel says acceptance of all things. Um, I would say most things because you know certain things I can't be accepting of, like yeah, uh, you know, mass murderers and things like that. So you know there's a bit of a limit as far as what you can accept. yeah, uh, you, know, you can't have chaos and anarchy and and, and things like that. Um, so there's there's a certain level of acceptance, of course. So all right. So let's go ahead and get into what is this, uh, we're talking supernatural DNA, if we're talking uh, genetic memory, that sort of thing. We will dive into uh, past lives here a little bit later. Usually when I talk about this, I almost always dive into the past lives first, but um, let's go ahead and, uh, and get into the genetic memory first. So, all right. DNA. Cellular memory transfer. All right, so this is a really, really fascinating topic. Cellular memory transfer is basically the idea of when you have an organ transplant, say you get a liver transplant, heart, different organs, that there are uh, memories that are inherited from the donor. So, for example, William Sheridan, a man uh, who had no artistic talent, suddenly started drawing amazing illustrations of wildlife, landscapes, so forth, following a heart transplant. As it turns out, the heart had actually come from a 24-year-old crash victim who had been quite a talented artist. Another example is Claire Sylvia. She had a heart transplant uh, received the organ from an 18 year old male that had died in a motorcycle accident. She started reporting having a craving for beer and chicken nuggets after the surgery. The heart transplant recipient also began to have recurring dreams about a man named Tim. Upon searching the obituaries, Sylvia found out her donor's name was Tim. And that he loved all of the food that she started craving so pretty interesting and it makes sense so when you have the organ transplant and of course there's certain things that they have to make sure matches up uh you know things like blood and and all of that so that and jen could probably speak a little bit better to it down there she's um she's the nurse down there but you know, certain things have to line up so that it's not rejected, which is fine. However, that organ was created within a person with completely different DNA. Say completely different, but um, different in, you know, there are certain things that make a human that are within DNA. But when it comes down to an individual, there are certain things that are quite different from person to person, and that's how we know, okay, this person is that person's uh, father, or this person has no relation at all except for the fact that they're human, that sort of thing. So there's genetic coding, genetic markers within the DNA for different things that uh you know you might be attracted to different things likes, abilities, that sort of thing. so you know this this one guy, Sheridan he ends up becoming, you know, a great artist. He ends up with this fantastic ability. So he kind of made out in the lottery there on organ transplants where uh, where Claire, she ends up with a craving for beer and chicken nuggets. Yeah, she kind of got the short end of the stick there, unfortunately. So, but very, very fascinating uh, how you can pick up traits from these transplants. So I know there's like a whole privacy bit that's involved with that. Uh, but if I was ever to get a transplant for something, I would want to know a little bit more about the donor because I wouldn't want these different traits. So we're gonna go, we're going to get into uh, this in a little bit deeper when it comes to uh, those things that are passed down through DNA and how really DNA has memories. Yeah, you know, we we tend to think of our brains as being the storehouse for our memories, but you know, we're discovering more and more that it's you know the entire body. Yes, there's you know great there is a great storehouse in the brain. There's a lot of uh, of course electrical activity, uh, but there have been a number of different tests that have been done that you know even as you take away parts of the brain, parts of the brain, parts of the brain that memories stay intact. you know they might start losing the ability to do different things, you know the ability to you know walk properly and, and things like that. but the response to uh, different stimuli that they were already familiar with in the past, You're able to uh, you're able to generate a memory, so it's it's elsewhere within us. Even uh, there's a lot of great work done by the Heart Mouth Institute in which they have shown a direct relationship between the brain and the heart. And there's uh, I should have brought some of these slides up too. I wasn't even thinking about it, Uh, but there are neurites within the heart that basically also contain memories and functionality that is related we normally relate to the brain so the whole concept that we've talked about for generations and generations like you know uh you know thinking with your heart or what does your heart tell you uh you know that sort of thing uh, there is a lot of uh, legitimacy behind that you know sure there is a um, biological response to different stimuli that you feel in your chest, but actually thinking with your heart is a real thing, and apparently with our DNA, that is there are memories that are encoded within that, and they've even—I forget the, uh, the exact number—but basically, what they've what they've come up with is that you could use your body as a storehouse of data. Like you can take DNA and encode information into it. So you could store all the knowledge of the universe within the DNA of your body. Of course, they are trying to do these different things in the lab. So imagine at some point you're injected into your DNA some sort of knowledge or or data um you know developing it's the idea almost of developing superhumans through that and one more story I see some comments coming uh in down there in the chat we'll get to those in just a second here uh one other story uh because this one is is heartbreaking but amazing at the same time it's an eight-year-old girl who received the heart of a murdered 10-year-old girl she began having recurring vivid nightmares about the murder Her mother arranged a consultation with a psychiatrist who, after several sessions, concluded that she was witnessing actual physical incidents. They decided to call the police who used the detailed descriptions of the murder, like the time, the weapon, the place, the clothes he wore, uh, what the little girl uh, he killed had said to him, all these different details. And they were actually able to track him down, find him, put the evidence together, and actually convicted him based on this heart transplant into another girl. And she had the memories, or I should say she had the memories from the heart that ended up filtering through her body. Basically, messages from the DNA that was put inside of her giving messages to the new body. Really fascinating stuff. All right, so we have some comments down in here. Um, Yeah, back to the class question of what traits you would like. Zeke says, having better than 20, 20 vision and superior hearing like my hunting ancestors possess. Yeah, that would be amazing. I could not imagine living, being alive back during that time where you needed really your full faculties to hunt, survive and all that. With my vision, I wear contacts, but I have like 2,500 vision, absolutely terrible. I'd be like, uh, is 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 that a bear or a pineapple? <laughs> you know? uh, I'd be nuts. So that's a good one. Um, yeah, Sarah, uh, we only use a small portion of the DNA strands. The quote unquote junk DNA that they talk about, I don't believe is junk at all. I believe there's really, really important information there. We just call it junk DNA now because we don't understand exactly what it is. Uh, but I think that quote unquote junk DNA is actually very, very important. And uh, let's see. So Tracy Lynn says, do you know of the experiments where they took skin from two Marines and put a patch of skin from the other on them and sent one to sea and one to shore? Uh, it was said of, this is in pieces, <laughs> said of the man on the land, tap Morse code on that skin. The man at the sea boat could feel the taps and decipher the message. Um, also did it with dogs. So that's interesting because that's almost like um, entanglement. So yeah with quantum entanglement basically um you know what's what's happening uh with the one object immediately there's no there's no lag time there's no actual like communication like a uh, like a message sent it just automatically happens uh to the other because they're entangled together so it almost sounds uh something like that which is uh which is really fascinating. And uh, that's, they're trying to, you know, accomplish that sort of thing, of course, in the lab with quantum computing and so forth, you know, it would, because where it would help would be with space travel. You know, the, the big problem that we have in getting from point A to point B in the universe, and it's a, it's a part of my book, uh, uh, Travels Through Time is coming out. It's time. It's time. Uh, you know, the amount of time it would take us uh, for a human to get there using our current propulsion systems, basically Newtonian physics, takes too long, um, you know, to get, we can get to the moon, we can get to Mars, there are definitely some repercussions, especially like Mars, because Bone density, musculature, those sorts of things start to break down, and they're always having to stay active, stay active, stay active to try to prevent that. Those are a lot of tests that they ran up in the space station. But to get even further out, you have a lot of those type of problems, of course, uh, even more so. But then, of course, the human lifespan—you know—it's taken the uh, the Voyager missions. I mean, they're just on the outside of the solar system right now, but, you know, it's taken almost 50 years now to make that happen. So that's a human life right there. And what kind of supplies would you need, um, you know, within that, uh, within that time frame to stay alive? So one of the things that would really help in all of this is entanglement. If we could send something out there, um, we have, of course, delays in communication. You'll signal from way out there the amount of time it takes to get back here uh, is slower. But if they were entangled and happened instantaneously, then you wouldn't have that lag time. So uh, Dave Stiles is in the house. Great to see you, Dave. Been a while for sure. There is Sylvain as well. All right. Judy Wilson asking, when we die, we no longer have DNA. We are just energy. So, how can DNA be used that way? That's an interesting question. So, yeah, we are we are energy when we die. I think. See, this is what I um is I think is happening. So the DNA is what is communicating with the beyond. If you believe that your consciousness is being projected here, it's not technically residing in the body but is being projected from the world beyond to here, then it's your body that is the receptor for that. You know, a lot of people will say the brain, the pineal gland, that sort of thing. but we're discovering more and more that you know, all of this is encoded throughout the entire body. Hence, you know when somebody picks up on uh, or, or gets a new organ that they start having um, you know, traits of that person well, what if that part is still communicating back? You know, it's it's encoded to receive those signals, and it's interpreting that into the person themselves. And yes, DNA, DNA samples can still be taken from a dead body. Um, we're looking at, and I'll, I'll just do this now, um the woolly mammoth. So uh, is Victoria in the house? Victoria always likes me talking about the woolly mammoth, uh, the idea of bringing these back. So this is something, I covered this in Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. It was um, just new when I was writing that book, finishing off that book. September 2021, where scientists had secured funding for research and resurrecting Long, extinct wooly mammoth. So they have woolly mammoth DNA. Um, what's fascinating about woolly mammoths as opposed to like our dinosaurs, I mean, there's a big you know time gap there. You know, we kind of I think a lot of times in our minds, we put the woolly mammoths around the time of the dinosaurs just because they're an extinct animal that you know we haven't seen walking the earth for you know tens of thousands of years. Um, so we, we kind of compartmentalize in our head that it's ancient, they're not around anymore. Um, but you know, there were millions of years between the woolly mammoths and the dinosaurs. Uh, dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. There are actually remains of these things still alive with meat on them. Um, there's, a, there's a rumor that in the 50s, um, I forget the name of the club, uh but they were rumored to have served woolly mammoth meat for dinner uh this one night. Uh, there's another individual in Alaska um an explorer and uh there's an ice pack that was melting. There was a mammoth in there and he says he let his dog eat uh, the mammoth meat. So we have uh mammoth DNA that we can extract. Problem is it's. It's deprecated. So while the DNA is there, it's it's broken. Um, you know we don't it's not a complete strand because it's just it's degraded that much. Which makes you wonder about Jurassic Park. you know, yes, we can get a little bit of dinosaur DNA, but would have been enough to make Jurassic Park happen if we're talking woolly mammoths that went extinct about 15,000 years ago. There are some that believe there may be a handful that are still out there in the wilderness of Alaska somewhere. Topic for another time. Um, But that's a big difference between 15,000 and 65 million, you know. So how much would they have available to them? But in any case, they are trying to resurrect the woolly mammoth. And because the DNA is degraded enough, what they've decided to try to do is mix it with elephant dna. And so opponents to this you know are saying, well, what are you really going to have? You know, you're not going to have a true mammoth. You're going to have a an elephant that has extra fat deposits on certain parts of the body and hair. So it's going to be like some crossbreed hybrid version of a woolly mammoth. And they're also concerned that and this is where the debate comes into play. Um, there are those that say that, well, when the mammoths existed, they did different things up in the uh, in the icy plains to help the climate, okay? But the climate changed and the mammoths died out because of that change. And we're talking change, you know, 15,000 years ago. Um, you know, basically, um, you know, when the uh, the ice age started to change, uh, when things started to melt, you know, mammoths couldn't handle that. And so they died off. But you have people that are saying, well, with the mammoths back and they do their thing again, then maybe that will help it to you know, cool off a bit. Well, I don't know, because they kind of died off to begin with. And that's kind of where the opponents are saying, well, we really don't know what made them die off but something in the environment way back then not now not with the pollution and everything that we had today like way back then where things were generally pretty clean there was enough of a situation to make them die off so we're just like reintroducing that whole thing to them we're just creating these things to automatically set up for doom so it's a really really strange and fascinating debate between the ultimate fate of these things are there some that may be still out in the wilderness? And my my question that I've thrown out there is: okay, t- you take this hybridized mammoth, throw them out there. Let's say they actually find some real woolly mammoths that are still out and about, and they mate. What does that make? You know, um, really kind of bizarre stuff. Uh, but it all comes down to uh, you know what's within the DNA and what they can you know try to uh, manipulate. I mean, they're already doing things with DNA manipulation of animals where, I'm going to find this really strange, but um, they have done some things to give spider DNA to goats. Okay, why are they giving spider DNA to goats? For silk. So they have managed to produce silk within the milk of goats so that they can harvest the silk and they don't have to wait around for, you know, uh, the, or I'm sorry, the silkworms, I'm talking spiders. Well, yeah, even spiders. Um, basically to get that, because it's, you know, very strong tensile strength stuff. They want to harvest that from the goats because they could more mass produce that material than whether it's silkworms or spiders or, or what have you we're already doing that sort of thing. So, what other crazy creations are we going to come up with, right? Um, all right. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, Tracy Spider Silk Milk. Yep. And same thing with with GMOs. Yeah. Um Yeah, what Monsanto's doing there now. I knew somebody that had worked in Uh, who had worked for Monsanto in Illinois. And what they put on the seeds is really a, it's a chemical. The idea is to uh, enhance the seeds so that they can uh, grow more densely together, you know, the different different plants so that you can have a uh, much larger crop that you are harvesting. However, the stuff that they're spraying on there, if you touch it with your hand, you get a chemical burn. So um, if you can imagine, all right, if we're getting a chemical burn just in seed form off of this thing, we're putting all this stuff into the ground that it's growing in, isn't that going to be in the vegetable or fruit or whatever is produced afterward. And then we eat that. Mm, yeah. Uh, I don't like that idea at all. So, all right, let's move on a little bit from that. I did the woolly mammoth sidebar a little bit early, uh, which was fine because that's always a, uh, a fun one to talk about. So we're talking, okay, DNA, passing it down, um, injecting it into other animals, manipulating it, that sort of thing um we even have things where uh we're able to replicate it in water and you know this is really fascinating what they were able to do here so this was uh introduced in 2009 they call it dna teleportation and we can already replicate dna they, they call it a poly, polymerase chain reaction. Um, it's already widely used to make millions to billions of copies of DNA. Uh, if you have, of course, full DNA sample. And it allows scientists to take a very small sample of that DNA and amplify it. So this um, this experiment, the way it worked was... Uh, you basically have, I'm going to you know, run through this whole thing. I did talk about this last time when we, uh, we did this last year. So you have a, uh, a known water sample with uh, two millimeters of 104 bases DNA from an HIV infected patient. It's diluted by 10 into water and agitated for 15 seconds. After filtration to remove the DNA, the dilution and agitation steps are repeated 10 times reaching high dilution levels. The highly diluted sample emits electromagnetic signals of low frequencies. Now, here's where it gets pretty wild. These electromagnetic signals are recorded by a microphone coil and saved as a six second wave file. Now, that, that's an audio file, um, which is a much it's a larger uh, file, much cleaner format than MP3. So, wave file is then emailed to the partner team. And then the partner team emits with a coil for an hour the EMS of the wave file to a sample of distilled water in a sealed metal tube, and it produces within that sealed tube a DNA sample, a DNA sample that is ninety eight percent identical to the original. So now these two labs that they did this with are in two different parts of the world, Paris and the other one was somewhere in Italy. And you're recording, you're recording DNA as an electromagnetic signal to a computer file. And you're emailing it. And then at the lab on the other side, you're taking that sound, that electromagnetic energy from that sound and putting it into water and creating. So when we've talked in the past using sound in different areas, when we've talked about um, you know the possibility of using sound technology to move the large blocks of stones, like you know, is that how they built the pyramids or ballback or things like that? Uh, we talk about you know using sound technology at stone circles. When we were at drawback stone circle in Ireland, you stand right in the middle of that. And the idea that they are using sound energy is absolutely obvious um, because you you hear, you hear the resonance off the stones. It is really fascinating. It's almost like you're in a bubble right there in the middle of that. And this is a stone circle that's thousands of years old. Some of the stones are missing and the ones that are there are really weathered down. So it's like, okay, imagine this in its heyday. So we know that you know, the ancients were using you know sound technology for a lot of different things. You know, we've been able in the lab to kind of you know replicate using uh sound to um to make things float and levitate small objects. We haven't figured out the big stuff yet. Um you know, you look at like somatics, uh, and what they're able to do with vibration to make different uh designs and the different wave patterns and things like that so it's no surprise here that they're able to do the same thing with dna you know and this is like not even using a computer to code it it's just recording the sound emailing The the place where the computer's really used is like creating the sound file and emailing it and then you're using the uh the electromagnetic coil to play the sound and it creates, the sound creates the DNA. So the whole idea of, you know, the music, the music of the spheres, right, Uh, you know, string theory, the idea that, um, you know, these different strings throughout the universe as they vibrate, you know, create the the universe around us. Even, you you can go back to, um, it's fiction, but Tolkien in his work in creating Middle Earth, the way Middle Earth was created in his fiction, we're talking a hundred years ago, uh, when he started writing those stories, was sound and music. So there's absolutely something to sound being used to create. And we're seeing that in the lab with DNA, with water, two different places on the planet. It's fascinating. And yes, frequency is everything. Uh, It all comes down to... um, Resonance, frequency vibration the entire universe uh yeah everything's everything's vibrating everything and we we look at the objects around us and you know it all looks solid uh, but really when you get down to the molecular level all those little atoms in there are vibrating and there's the idea the theory if you can figure out like with a wall how to vibrate at the exact same, uh, resonance as the wall, like get your body on that level, then you could walk through it. I I kind of don't want to try that or test it because if I suddenly get out of sync while I'm in the middle of the wall, that I could have some nasty repercussions. Those that have watched uh, Harry Potter maybe get splinched like uh, like Ron did. Yeah. And yes. Uh, Sarah, many cultures have their own forms of mysticism about sound and music. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, <laughs> Jen, hard pass on the GMO. Uh, I do try to uh, eat as little of that as possible. Unfortunately, it kind of it sneaks into a lot of our foods. Even if you buy completely organic, there's still so much other stuff that you can't buy organic. You're getting it anyway. Um, yeah, Judy, uh, Edward Lee Scanlon, uh, Coral Castle. Uh, yeah, he was uh, said to have used some some sort of vibration or frequency to be able to move those blocks. He claims that he discovered the secrets of the ancients to be able to move those blocks. We don't know exactly how he did it because he would do things secretly at night. Uh, some people passing by uh, reported him using these uh, cone-shaped objects. They had the tripod with the black box at the top. So he was doing something. And his papers, well, we didn't get all of his papers, but the papers that did survive, that uh, that were made public, did talk about uh, magnetism, frequency, vibration, uh, those sorts of things. So, all right, Got about fifteen minutes left. Do want to get into um, a little bit about you know reincarnation and you know passing down of DNA genetically. So, in, in a couple of different respects, one, um, you know, inheriting traits from you know, our ancestors, right? We're going to have some of those different things embedded into our DNA. So the question has come up before, you know, can we have our grandparents' memories? So is there something that happened in their life that when we go to a place, it can spark a memory that even though we were never there, they may have been, and we're getting a glimpse of that. And, you know, this is, this is certainly possible. Uh, there's an interesting experiment with uh, glowworms. I have shared this before. And how many generations was this? I think it was like 14 generations. So basically they tested an environmental an environmental change using these glowworms that um, they, they basically used a, uh, uh, heat and cooling type of experiment uh, to get these things to glow or to not glow and the change that incurred uh, lasted 14 generations so the idea is that uh you know 14 generations out this glow worm who is so far removed from the actual incident that created the response is still having the response even though they were never there for it. it was you know they're there are grandfathers, great-great-grandfathers, great-great-grandfathers, you know, way down the line. But there's they still have uh, the response embedded into them. You know, that's where, you know, some of the traits that we carry on today are still embedded into us from, um, you know, from ancient times. You know, we still have some of those things within us. So, and we, you know, kind of look at, okay, you know, so there are some hunter-gatherer instincts still in there. Um, you know, some survival instincts, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, but can we get a little bit more specific? So, you know, we talk, eh, so-and-so inherited this from, you know, somebody within the family. Okay, like my father, um, was great with woodworking. I mean, he's tool and die maker by trade, machinist, but uh, as a hobby, he's become very, very good at it, so he's a very good woodworker he makes all of his own furniture i have pieces of his furniture here um he's actually built his own house before designs he's designed houses uh you know uses cad programs these sorts of things well going into the family history uh, my grandfather's great great grandfather descendant we were just down there uh Paris Icon, down there in, in mansfield johannes ricksecker otherwise known as father john um he also made his own furniture he was a carpenter so some of those traits passed on down the line to you know my dad so all those sorts of things yes make sense but then the question becomes okay if we can get traits what about specific memories that are embedded and you could say yes like let's say there's some sort of uh tragedy that happens, uh, within the family. Like there's a car accident at a specific intersection that, uh, your grandfather got into. There was, uh, something tragic that happened there. Let's let's say he survived enough to, you know, impregnate your grandmother and then pass down, uh, the generations. And there's some reason that every time that you pass by that specific intersection, even though you were never there for it. You always get a really bad feeling right there. You know, something spooks you, you get nervous, maybe you get sad, whatever it is, even though you didn't have the experience your, you know, grandparent did. So as long as the incident happened before the conception of, you know, whether it's your parent or whomever, um, then there is a chance that that genetic marker could be placed there. So let's take it a step further. I did mention past lives. So if you have a past life with some of these different things that have happened, maybe you have a memory at a location. We are, there are certain places in the world that we are drawn to. And we don't know why. We go to that place finally. And to us, it seems like home. Like this is a place that we have been before. It's really familiar to us. Are those things marked in our DNA? We talked earlier about the information that's encoded within there. Is that as our consciousness is coming into it, uh, into our body, is our consciousness encoding those cells with that information that your consciousness has lived. How many past lives? We don't know. You know, could could be dozens, could be hundreds, could be thousands, right? And that consciousness has had experiences over all of those. Now, we're supposed to be, cut off from those, yes. But there are times that, you know, the really wild ones are the children that, you know, have memories of things that they could never have known about. Um, you hear these stories of, you know, there's this kid that remembers these this family and actually where this house is and you know, describes people perfectly. It's it's wild. And there's no way they could have possibly known this type of information. The same thing happens with adults. But we use kids as, as the example because adults, you know, if they're trying to fool somebody or whatever uh, or, or trying to make up a story. You know, Sure, they are savvy enough to go do some research and say, oh yeah, I know this person and that person where this happened. Yeah. But like a four-year-old? No. Um, so we know that these things happen, but usually for most people, they get turned off. We don't know really how, what that mechanism is, but there are things kind of in the background that are familiar to us. These little markers that are still there with us that are encoded within our signal that programs our bodies and programs our DNA with our consciousness these things that have stuck with, that, with us throughout all time. And that's why you know we seem drawn to different places, different locations. Uh, we may have... Okay, let, let me throw this out there. We talked last time a little bit about that hypnosis session that I had a couple of years ago. And last week when we talked about it, it was in... Um, in regards to the shadow experience that i had as something that we explored but the beginning of this session was actually a past life regression so we went to a a life that i had had and within this life i was a scribe for some sort of religious order that was that was being persecuted I mean, we were basically in defiance of the established church and i was i was the person that would you know write the testimonies write the, the meeting minutes whatever it was i couldn't necessarily see what it was that i was writing but you know, it's a congregation there's somebody else that's speaking and i'm at you know, one of those you know, like writing desks i'm writing things down ink and quill onto a scroll well wouldn't you know you know this life i'm a writer Right. Um, Yeah. So these type of traits tend to follow us through our different lives. Now we might be different professions and what have you over, you know, over the different lives. But there are certain things that we tend to come, you know, become drawn back to again and again. I've had the visions of the past death before many of you are familiar with that. And, you know, with this, I was, I was in the military jungle. Think, you know, Vietnam, and it makes sense. I was born in 74. So for me to, uh, die in Vietnam, spend some time in the home home world, and then come back down here makes complete sense. I was in the air force for six years in this life. So, you know, some sort of draw back to, you know, the military in, in that respect. So, these things keep coming back throughout our different lives. And we're learning new things as we go along through each life. Getting down toward the, uh, to the wire here. And so, um, yeah, recycled souls, uh, believing in old souls. Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, Recycled souls, well... Yeah, in the sense that, you know, reincarnation, that's kind of the idea. You know, we're coming, uh, you know, the cycle again and again and again. And we talk about, like, you know, soul families. Uh, So, talking old souls. um, You know, the idea that, you know, there's a certain, almost like, you know, tribe, right? That you're with. That, you know, as you are reincarnated, many of the same people are still in your life now, they may be a woman this time instead of a man or vice versa uh, there may be a different relationship involved but you know your soul group kind of hangs out together and then sometimes and this happens too um, you, know, you have that one person that's just really off from everybody else and so the idea there is that you know, this is the person that decided, not to reincarnate with their soul family that decided to try something completely different. Hey, let me try some new experiences. You know, we're always, man, you, we don't know what goes on up there. Maybe they're kind of debating. We always, could you imagine that? You know, you know, we always live the same lives. We come down here, we do this, we do that. It's the same thing every freaking life. I want to go try something else. And so they go off with another family for a while and then, you know, they're completely ostracized while living here on earth because of the fact that they're just not jiving, uh, with the people. I have a few people like that in my life, (laughs) a couple that it's like, you you don't mesh with, (laughs) so that's, that's one theory as to what that is and why that happens. Um, Judy says, uh, the first time I went to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, when I was a kid, I felt like I was finally at home. Yeah. And that's what happens is, you know, you go to a certain location and you're just like, I've been here. I don't know how I don't know why it yeah, feels like home. Um, you know, just the whole vibe just really resonates with you. Um, you know, certain certain places around the world. Like we just went to, you know, Ireland's like, oh, you know, Ireland is, is a place that was a place I'd been wanting to get to for a while. End up there. I was like, I love it. I love it here. Um, Paris, uh, surprisingly, uh, you know, both Jen and I really liked and, you know, it was, it was a place that I always wanted to go to visit. You know, I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to do some things here, you know, kind of you know, see the stuff and, uh, you know, check the box, did there, or been there, did that. But then it was like, wow, oh, um really enjoying this. Of course, Egypt. I think a lot of people get called back to, to Egypt because that's like, not the first civilization, but one of the first, and it was big, it was massive. Um, it was you know, very, very important. So I think a lot of people uh, tend to get called back to there as well. Um, and then yeah, Buddhists believe in reincarnation, move on to nirvana when you reach a certain point. Yeah, and that's the thing is like how many times do we have to you know be recycled through here before we reach that point? That we don't know. Um each person you know has different lessons to learn. And for some of us, it takes a you know, a lot of times, and for others, maybe not so much. Um we really aren't sure of the number. Um, let's see. Tracy says, Why create a soul to be used for just a limited hundred years, give or take? Seems likely to reuse them until they have experienced everything there is to experience. Yeah, the human life these days is, um, is shorter, is certainly shorter in span. You look at, you know, some of the old texts, and I'm not just talking the, you know, the Bible, you even look at like uh, the Sumerian texts and these, you know, kings that live for, you know, thousands of years. Um, you know, a lot of these traditions from ancient times talk of these longer lifespans and they were shortened down. So was there something done to us that, you know, the powers that be said, now you guys are lingering on too long. You have some lessons to learn. Let's shorten this up a bit. You know, maybe this shorter lifespan, you can get a lot more lessons. And Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the idea. You know, shorter lessons, and um, then we'll come and do a review. You know, every you know seventy to hundred years, and so we'll do that review, send you back to get the next lesson. Problem with that? When we look at what humans do is over time, uh, the way history works, humanity tends to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. And why is that? Because the people that had learned those mistakes, they try to tell the younger crowd, hey, we don't want to do that because this, that, and the other thing happened. They die off. And the younger crowd, either not wanting to listen or be like, oh, yeah, that happened to you guys, it's not going to happen to us. Or, hey, we're smarter than that, Did da, da, da. You know, They forget generations die off and then all of a sudden nope they're going to make the same mistakes again it's usually uh, about three generations It take three generations before uh those things are are forgotten we have to go through them all over again uh you tend to even see that in kind of like more subtle things um yeah notice this with um you see it with like the upkeep of cemeteries, okay? The stones in which you will see much more, uh, many more flowers and memorabilia and things like that, that are left, you know, are by the people that knew this person. Well, as the years go on and the generations die off, less and less is left there. And suddenly nobody's left. And the people are lost to time, so when you go to you know, some of these different cemeteries, you see the older section, and there's like almost nothing there except, of course, the stones, which are you know many you know, many times very very beautiful, and it's the newer section that has the memorabilia and the flowers and all that because those people are still around. So you see, you know, that interesting uh, dichotomy with the with the generations, and it, it takes about three. Yeah, and there's a good question there, Dave. How long would it take to be reincarnated? We don't know. Um, and we don't really know how time works there. Is it outside the realm of time? Okay. Um, is it outside that dimension? So we, we are, our existence is in the fourth dimension of time. So when we pass, do we move on to uh, a different realm in which Time is is like an object, and can we insert ourselves into a specific moment if we wish? You know, are we all going to go back to, okay, we lived, you know, the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, et cetera. Uh, yeah, let's go back to 1850 and try that one on for size. Can we do that? Um, you know, or are we in our selection still stuck in that river of time and is the review you know how long is that review process you know is it and and maybe even seems shorter or longer than i I mean time is a human construct you know we we think of it in you know days years that sort of thing because of the planet that we're on and the sun that we have and all that could work very very differently up there where up there it might seem like an hour and here it's years or vice versa know could seem like years up there and here it's a couple of days we don't know a lot of theories on that though (laughs) Sarah, i want to come back as a pampered cat (laughs) uh yeah yeah um that would be that would be fun huh (laughs) shorter lifespan though but yeah um Judy says, uh, I believe in free will. if we don't want to return, we don't have to, it's not forced on us. Yeah. You know, there's that whole idea of, um, when you, when you come back, you have options, um, you know, that you can choose different aspects of your life, different situations that you want to try on for size, um, idea of choosing your parents, all that sort of stuff. And they're all theories. You know, we, we, we don't know, um, In my book that's coming out, I I do include a couple of those different ideas. It's not, I'm going to have one further down the road on consciousness where I dive deeper into that. But um, yeah, I mean, one of the ideas is that you are, your consciousness is operating from up there and, you know, while, okay, you're in this life here while your consciousness is up there, you could actually be in multiple lives across multiple universes. That one, I have a little bit of a harder time getting on board with, but it's an interesting concept. Can you actually be learning multiple things at the same time through soul splitting? Hmm. Um, no, I have not seen the movie, The Lobster. So, um, and, uh, yeah, soul seeker, uh, time is definitely different yet time. Yeah. Again, human construct. Uh, but I'll also say that, you know, time doesn't exist. Topic for another day. Um, well, if you go back and look at the one on real time travel, it's a condensed, uh, condensed class that I put out uh, some months back and, Basically, the long and the short of it is everything that has happened, is happening, and will happen is all happening concurrently at the same time. It's something called stack time theory. So, um, but check that out. All right. So, we are getting down to the end here, about two minutes left. I do want to uh, thank everybody for joining us this evening, talking supernatural DNA, genetics. Past lives, a lot of stuff going on here. Water memory, really, really interesting topic. So uh, those that are listening to the podcast version later, again, come join us out here every Wednesday night, com. There is the public side there on the YouTube channel, but uh, members to the Connected Universe Portal, we have the pre-show, first 10 minutes um, you know, before this begins. And then afterward, we'll go about another uh, 15 And that's at ConnectedUniversePortal.com. All right, everybody. Appreciate it. Till next time. Time really exists.